Well, good afternoon, church. Uh, we could do better than that. Good afternoon, church. Good, good. It's, it's good to be gathered uh, once again to worship our glorious Savior. Uh, happy Mother's Day once again to all the moms in our congregation. I pray uh, you've all been feeling loved and seen and cared for today. Uh, and as my sister already just prayed, uh, as this is a celebratory occasion, we also know that this is a hard day, right? Uh, for those of us in our congregation uh, and other congregations, uh, grieving the loss of our moms today or those who desire to be moms and so forth and so forth. So continue to pray. Please be praying for those of us who are grieving today and in all these different categories, be praying and checking in on one another today. Amen? Amen. With that, let me encourage you to grab your Bible uh, as we're going to continue in our sermon series on our statement of faith called What We Believe Together. So you should go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to be in Article 4 this afternoon. I don't think it's going to be on the screen. Sorry about that. It won't be on the screen this, this afternoon. But it is of the way of salvation. What a fitting topic. What a fitting topic for us to be looking at on this Mother's Day. I can't think of another better topic than to be thinking about, talking about, relishing in uh, this glorious gospel that we get to hold out each week. Amen? Amen. Amen. So towards that end, let me pray for us again, and then we'll dive in. God, we thank you once again for this afternoon, for this opportunity to worship you. Uh, we thank you for all of the ways that we have already been doing so by, yeah, uh, singing your word, praying your word, uh, reading your word. And now uh, we get to do that through the preaching of your word. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word. And may your word uh, fall on good ground, good soil. Uh, and may your word do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you see fit. Be pleased in our time this afternoon. Be magnified in our time this afternoon. Jesus, be central, be lifted high in our time this afternoon. May we all see you rightly, beautiful, and glorious as you are in the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So again, our statement of faith, we're in Article 4 this afternoon. It's of the way of salvation. I'm going to read that for us, and then we're going to dive into the text. It says this. It says, we believe that the salvation of sinners is holy of grace through the mediatorial offices of the Son of God, who by the appointment of the Father freely took upon him our nature, yet without sin, honored the divine law by his personal obedience, and by his death made a full atonement for our sins, that having risen from the dead, he is now enthroned in heaven and uniting in his wonderful person the tenderest sympathies with divine perfections. He is every way qualified to be a suitable, a compassionate, and all-sufficient Savior. Amen? Amen? Amen. I remember traveling uh, somewhere out of town with my parents when I was uh, very young, when I was a little boy, 
And I remember as we were traveling to wherever this location was, it was somewhere out of town, I remember my parents whipping out a map. They whipped out one of those old school maps, right, to, to find where they were gonna be going, to give them directions to get to the particular destination that they were heading. Uh, maybe some of your parents may have used a map back in the day to get to a particular place, potentially. Or for, for some of you in this room uh, who are into hiking or camping, definitely not me or Brock, not me or him, uh, you may have used <laughs> a compass uh, to help you get to your destination, maybe your campsite or whatever the case may be, right? For those of you kids, so forth, who, or others who may not know what a, a, a compass is, just a, a little device with arrows that point north, south, east, and west, uh, and when you're uh, walking, it will tell you which direction you're heading, right? Whether you're going north or south or whatever the case may be in the direction that you're seeking to head, right? For us modern age folks, we use Siri or the Waze app. I don't know what I would do without Siri sometimes. We're traveling. You say what, babe? Oh, you would help me? Okay, my wife would help me. Uh, amen. Wifey would help me get to point A to point B. In all of these, stay with me, in all of these, they are used. So the Siri, the Waze app, map, compass, they're used to help us to get to our particular destinations and to get there safely by God's grace. In our time together this afternoon, we'll be looking at the ultimate destination, God, salvation in him, heaven, and the only way to get to him through Jesus. So Jesus is the only map. He's the only compass. He's the only Siri to get to God. And that's what we're going to be looking at this afternoon. So, and based on this article, we're going to ask two essential questions. And this will also serve as the outline of our sermon this afternoon. So two essential questions. Number one, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus. Number two, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? So let's look at the first one together. And if I can get you to turn to Philippians 2, that's where we're going to be this afternoon. So Philippians 2, turn there with me in your Bibles as we dive into this text together this afternoon. So Philippians 2. So number one, who is Jesus? So this is the most important question to be asked and to have to give an answer to. So let's answer it by looking at the passage here in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Here's what it reads. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. 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 So the context of this passage is 
Paul, the Apostle Paul is the author, and he's writing to the church at Philippi and encouraging them to pursue unity together, right? Through the pathway of humility. If you were with us some weeks ago, we looked at this text more in depth, thinking about humility together as a church. But this is the context of the passage. Sometimes when we look at verses 5 through 11, there's so much rich theology there, Christology there, doctrine there, that we negate the actual context of this passage. Context is, again, Paul writing to the church at Philippi, encouraging them to pursue unity together as a church, but to do that through the pathway of humility. And not only to pursue it through this pathway, he reminds them, he gives them a model to look to. And that model is the ultimate example of humility in and modeled through the Lord Jesus. This is the mind that he's referring to that Jesus has in verse five. Right? He says in verse five, have this mind among yourselves. It's this same mind, this same posture of humility. And then he shows the example of humility realized in Jesus' divinity, him being fully God, and his humanity, him being fully man. So the first answer to the question is, Jesus is God. Based on this passage, we see that very clearly. Look back at verse 6, it says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So we see here that the text says Jesus is God. Two things to point out here is that the text says he was in the form of God, not a form of God. It's a big difference. So that's number one. And then number two, that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So the word for form here is the Greek word morphe, you may know that, which means likeness or appearance, or form, right? So Jesus, to be in the same form of God, means that he was God, is God, right? This means he shares in the same nature, the same essence and being of God the Father. This here in this passage also affirms where Paul says elsewhere about Jesus in Colossians 1.15, he says, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And also what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1 verse 3, says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. To be in the image of the invisible God, to have the exact imprint of God affirms Jesus' deity, that he is, in fact, that he is indeed God. So essentially, you want to know what God looks like. You want to know what God is about. You want to know who God is. You don't have to look anywhere else. You can look to the God-man Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, the Lord Jesus, who displays Christ, who displays God to us. John 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
We see here that this passage affirms a lot about Jesus' deity. Uh, what do we see here? See, we see here that he is the creator and that he is equal to the creator. So John is piggybacking off of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where that same phrase, in the beginning, is used. And it's used to tell us who created the world and everything in it. Who did that? What does it say? It says, Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word for in the beginning, which is a, a fascinating word, can be translated through the sun, God created the heavens and the earth. So Jesus was in the beginning. He was with God. And he was and is God. And because he is God, he created all things. This also affirms Colossians 1 verse 16, where it says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So we see here that these passages are affirming who Jesus is, who he was, who he is, and him being the creator. But not only do these passages affirm or confirm that Jesus is equal with the creator and is the creator, but to be equal with the creator is to be equal with him in character. So he's equal with God in character. We know God is holy. We know that he is loving, that he's just and compassionate, just to name a few of his characteristics. And we find these characteristics to be true of Jesus, to be true of who he is. So let's take them one by one here briefly. Jesus is holy. Acts 3 says here, verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. So Jesus is holy. Jesus is loving and compassionate. John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have what? Loved you. You also are to love one another. So Jesus loves the disciples. He does it, but he also models for them what love is to look like. Matthew 14, 14, it says this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So Jesus is holy. Jesus is loving and compassionate. Jesus is just. It says here in Luke 20, 25, he says, he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Jesus wasn't into doing any trickery or cheating. He honored yeah, the, the laws that he put in place and uh, was a just man. So this is who Jesus is. Jesus is God. But we also know that he is also man. You may know the fancy theological term we refer to Jesus being God and, and being man, hypostatic union. And that's just a fancy term that just means that Christ in his personhood is fully God and fully man. Two natures that don't contradict each other in perfect harmony with one another. Him being fully God and him being fully man. 
we see this continuation in our passage here in Philippians 2. We see this beautiful truth continue to be unveiled, to be unfolded. They're with me. So he is God, but he wasn't tripping over being God. It says in verse 6, what does it say? It says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I love how the NIV puts it. NIV puts it this way. It says in verse 6, it says, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Right? We see Jesus' humility on display in his divinity and his humanity. So Jesus is equal with God because he is God, but he doesn't use his godness to his own advantage when he very well could have. He could have. I wonder if it was you, would you have done the same? If it was me, would you have done the same? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Growing up, uh, some of you, I used to do this myself, when, when somebody may have messed with you or when you were trying to get something, you may have pulled the daddy car. You might pull the daddy car. You're like, do you know who my daddy is? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he can do? <laughs> with Jesus being God, he could have. And he doesn't. Instead, he descends from his heavenly home, which was very advantageous for us. He became man. Look back with me at verse 7. It says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus continues to show his example of humility here in who he is. And what he did. The text says he made himself nothing. Or he emptied himself as another translation puts it. Right? What this doesn't mean is that Jesus ceased from being God. It doesn't mean that he ceased from being God. Jesus didn't cease from being God by becoming man. If anything, uh, he put on something that he was not. He took another form that he was not. That form was him being, yeah, man. So if anything was let go, it was let go in the sense of him putting on something that he was not. You with me? Amen. Right? So he didn't cease from being God by becoming man. Instead, he, he put on, yeah, he put on something he was not. He put on man's flesh, like a LeBron jersey. He put it on, he took it on himself. This was the promised seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15. Promised seed from the woman fulfilled in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, being born in the Virgin Mary. This is who the Lord Jesus is and was. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Son of God humbled by becoming a human being, being born as a baby, having to depend on earthly parents to feed him, to change him, to bathe him, to care for him. And this baby, this is who Jesus is. He humbled himself by becoming a human being, being born in this way. The son of God, God himself, that in a snap of his finger could have done whatever he pleased. Come on, brother. Taking this journey, this voyage, 
becoming a human being, what humility we find in our Savior. What humility we see in the Lord Jesus. And in this baby, the Lord Jesus, he would be the hope for all mankind, the hope for the world. And he would grow up in the wisdom and stature of the Lord, Luke 2, and then be put to death according to the will of his Father. So it's important to your souls to know who Jesus is. It's important to our souls this afternoon to know who Jesus really is. We all, before he revealed who he really is and was to us, had wrong views of who Jesus was and is. Some of you here today or those you may know in our neighborhood or your workplaces or friends or family members, the list can go on and on, may have wrong views of who Jesus is. This is crucial because you get Jesus wrong, everything else crumbles. You get him wrong, we have no faith. Everything crumbles. What we are doing here this afternoon means nothing if Jesus isn't who he said he was. And he did. And he was. Jesus even asked the disciples if they knew who he was because it was crucial. It was important. Their souls hung on this truth of who he was to get it right, to make sure that it's right. Matthew 16, 13 through 17, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Verse 14. And it says, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Some beautiful things we see here in this passage. That one, when we think about, yeah, all the different categories I mentioned, family, friends, co-workers, et cetera, et cetera, who may have wrong views of who Jesus is. We see that this question is important and crucial for us to know and for them to know who he really is. But then we also see that the only way we can really know who he is is unless he reveals himself to us. So Jesus, by God's grace, has revealed himself to us Christians here in this room He's in the business of revealing himself to all who would turn away from their sin and turn to him by faith. So we've been thinking about who Jesus is. Now we want to think about verse, excuse me, uh, number two, point two. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Look back with me at Philippians 2 verse 8. It says... And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What we see here again is Jesus' divinity and humanity on display here 
And essentially what we see is the gospel, the good news of Christ and what he has done. So here's what I want to do is I want to walk through three important truths about what Jesus did here in the gospel. Three important truths. Number one, he lived in your place. Number two, he died in your place, in my place. Number three, he rose from the dead in our place. This is what Jesus did. So number one, he lived in our place. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. Obeyed the law of his father perfectly. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless, obedient life before God, perfectly and completely. Where you and I lived an imperfect sinful, disobedient life before God, Jesus lived this way perfectly before God in our places. This is a beautiful thing. So we, you know, when we think about Jesus' death in our place as important and crucial for the salvation of our souls, his life was equally important for the salvation of our souls. Jesus lived an obedient life before the Father in our place. This is crucial because you know what this tells us is that we don't have to come trying to live a life of perfection before God because we are unable to. But Jesus lives this life in our place and all he calls us to do is receive him. Receive his life that he lived in our place. And when we do, the father looks upon that as perfection on the basis of his son. This is a beautiful thing. So for any of us this afternoon who are trying to, I'm not saying we shouldn't strive to live for holiness. I'm not saying we shouldn't strive to, to live to please God. But you and I cannot do that in and of our own selves. You and I cannot do that in our own strength. Jesus has already done it for you. What other religions say, do, 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 Christianity says, done. It says, done. He calls us to receive that and to live in light of that. So your personal holiness, yeah, read your Bible, pray, et cetera, et cetera. But it's based on what Christ has already done for you. Keep looking to Christ. Keep believing upon Christ and walking in him. So that's number one. He lived in our place. Number two, he died in our place. Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What beautiful truth that is. Exactly. While we were messing up, sinning it up, Jesus died. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This passage right here is, is considered the great exchange. Right? That 
Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. Only God could take the wrath of God. But he needed to be a human to represent us before God. So we see this Jesus, God and man, completely, fully, perfectly representing us before God and taking the punishment that you and I deserve. This is what Jesus did. Our substitutionary atonement. Substituting in our place where Jesus had no sin for which he had to die for, but it was all our sin that he died for. He goes to the cross willingly and, and yeah, lovingly for you and for me. Dying in our place. So number one, he lives in our place. Number two, he dies in our place. But number three, thanks be to God that the story doesn't end there. He rose from the dead in our place. The sisters roll up to the tomb to see Jesus after he died. The angel of the Lord puts them up on game that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Mark 16, 6-7 it says, And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Jesus got up from the grave. You missed your hallelujah moment. Jesus got up from the grave. <laughs> he rose from the dead. He rose in your place and in my place, proving that the sacrifice on our behalf had been accepted by God. It had been accepted. And not only accepted, that it defeated all of our enemies. Sin, death, and the grave, and Satan himself. And because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, you and I can be forgiven of all our sins. Past, present, and future. This is what the Lord Jesus has done. In his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Offering us life. Eternal life. To be made right with God. And to spend eternity with him. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. So Jesus is living, is dying, and rising from the grave in our place. So the first and most important question that we've been considering so far is who is Jesus? But the next question that's on that same level would be, do you know him? Do you know him? So I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm asking more directly if you know him personally. Do you have a personal saving relationship with Jesus? Again, your souls weigh on this. Your souls, this is a question for your souls. I'm not asking if for any of the kids in the room, if your parents know or knew him as a result, and you think that through that you might get a pass into the kingdom, or if you ever attended VBS growing up or attended church as a kid, I'm not asking any of those questions. 
I'm asking directly, do you know Jesus? Do you know him personally? This is why it's important to know who he is biblically, from the Bible, to know the biblical Jesus, and to know if you know that you know that you know him. And it's also important because this Jesus, as we're considering today, is the only way to God. There is no other way. There's no other way. But Jesus, he is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. We believe in the exclusivity of Christ. It is through him and by him that we can be with God. There is no other GPS system that can get you to God. Jesus says this of himself. John 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So again, who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? If you're here and you're not a Christian, we want you to know and we want you to not walk out of here today not knowing that you can be a Christian, that you can come to know who Christ is. We want to hold out Jesus to you, that he is the only way to heaven. If you want to know him, what he calls you to do is to turn away from your sin, to buck a U-turn, to buck a U-we from your sin and turn to him by faith, by trust in what he has done alone. Believing upon him as the only God and the only way to God, turning from sin, trusting him by faith. And the Bible says once you do that, you can be forgiven. You can be cleansed of all of your sin. You can be made right with God. So that's the gospel we want to hold out to you on this Mother's Day that we hold out every day. Amen. That Jesus is God and that he is the only way to God. Receive him. May today, may today, this Mother's Day, be the day of salvation for you, if that's you this afternoon. Don't harden your heart. Couple of uh, couple of applications uh, before we, we close out. Just in thinking about those who don't know the Lord, but, but thinking about those who do know the Lord, just some applications before we rock out this afternoon. So to all the moms here, these same gospel truths are what you are called to share with your children. These same, this gospel, this glorious gospel, it is enough. The word of God is enough. Jesus is enough. We have examples of this in scripture. You may know a lot of them, but I want to point to, to one. So Timothy, 
His grandmother and his mother are examples of the legacy of the gospel being passed down. So, so yeah, Timothy's grandmother passing it down to his mom and then his mom passing it down to him. Second Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5, it says, Paul here says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. You see this beautiful legacy of the gospel, this legacy of the word being passed down from grandmother to mother to child. This is you, mom, here this afternoon, all Christian moms. This is a legacy that I hope you want to leave, that I hope you are leading already and want to continue to lead within your homes. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So may all the moms and dads seek to yeah, leave a legacy of the word in our homes. The word is enough. The word is sufficient. May we continue to yeah, show that, tell that, and lead that in our homes. Number two, so that's number one. Number two, to all women here, we want to celebrate all women. We want to celebrate you today and appreciate all the ways you lead and serve and make Jesus known, particularly how Jesus in the Great Commission calls all women and men to make disciples. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you hear in that first point that was directed straight to moms, all women are not off the hook. The Great Commission is for all women and all men to be seeking to teach and to show Christ. So I want to encourage all women, if you're not already doing that, to grab another sister, to grab another young lady, and to seek to disciple her, to point her to Jesus, to model Jesus before her. And we know that, yeah, making disciples is essentially and simply just helping others follow Jesus. So to all women, I encourage you, I implore you to help other women follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Titus 2, 3-4 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So we see even in here the diversity. All women of all ages are to be about the business of discipling women, to discipling children, to teaching, to leading, to serving, to serving up Christ in a multifaceted way. I want to encourage all the ladies. And I am encouraged by the ladies who are already doing that here at Congress Heights Community Church. I think about Natasha, I think about Sean, I think about all the ladies leading and serving in all the ways that they do. Leading worship, leading Bible studies. I'm really encouraged by all of the women here in our church. 
It's like how Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, he says, hey, I know you're already doing this, but I want to encourage you to do it all the more. So I, I pray, ladies, that you would hear that in that way, that you're already doing this, but I pray that you would do it all the more. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's number two. Number three, and lastly, ladies, your identity is not found in how great of a wife you are or a future wife you will be or how great of a mom you are or how great of a future mom you will be or how even great of a woman you are. Your identity is not solely found in that. It's found solely in God. And this doesn't change your identity before God does not change when you don't think you're being the best wife or the best mom or the best girlfriend or whatever the case may be. In all of the hats you wear, praise be to God that your identity is not shaken in God when you're doing well or when you feel like you're doing poorly. Amen? Your identity is found solely in God. And as you find your identity solely in God and that he approves of you and he is pleased with you, again, not because of you and your own self, but because of his son who you are looking to and trusting in and believing upon daily, you find approving, you're being approved by God. Therefore, you don't have to seek the approval of people. And you can rest in him. And as you do that, guess what it does? It shapes every other hat that you wear. It helps you be a good wife. It helps you be a good mom. It helps you be a good future wife or a good future mom. Your identity, finding your identity in Christ and him alone in the gospel helps to one, secure you and encourage you. But then it also helps you as you seek to wear those particular hats. Amen? Y'all with me? So be encouraged. Be encouraged to find your identity solely in God. And as you do, allow your identity to motivate and to shape all of the hats you wear. Amen? Amen. Amen. So in conclusion, we've been thinking about and talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And in conclusion, Jesus is the only way to God. He is God and he is the only pathway to God. And so on this Mother's Day, for the women and for the men, for all of us, the children, I wanna encourage us all to continue to look to Christ, look to him, he is our only hope. Amen. He is our only hope. I didn't touch on this much, but even just thinking about for those of us who are grieving this afternoon, as we are grieving the loss of our moms, may we grieve as those who have hope in Jesus. Hope in this beautiful reality that's already but not yet, that one day he will raise our moms in the Lord, our grandmothers who walk with the Lord and that we all too will be caught up in the sky with them. And ultimately on that day, we will be gathered around the throne, worshiping Christ, praising him for who he is and what he has done. 
So that's future hope, but we have hope now that God gives us on a daily basis as we continue to look to him. So I pray for all of us who are grieving, myself included, that we will continue to look upon Jesus. He is our only hope. Amen? Amen. Let's pray as the team comes back up. God, we thank you for this afternoon. God, we thank you for your word. I couldn't think of any better truth, God, to in your providence, your plans to have us walk through this afternoon thinking about, talking about the good news of Christ. Jesus, you are our only hope. You are the only hope for all the women in our church, all the, the moms and wives in our church, all the dads and husbands in our church, the singles in our church. You are the only hope for us all. You are the only hope for us, for those of us who are grieving, for those of us who are desirous to be a wife, to be a mom. You are our only hope. I pray, God, that you've encouraged us from your word this afternoon, that we would leave encouraged in the gospel trusting, believing in Christ alone by faith in Him. That we would know that hope more and more today and that as we go in our everyday life tomorrow, that we would be reminded and anchored in the good news of Christ. Finding our hope in Jesus, our strength in Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us not to lose focus. Help us not to drift, to, yeah, for our eyes to wander off the cross. But Lord, please keep our eyes on Jesus in these trying times, in these hard days. Help us to see Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Would you stand with us, family?